Well, hello, church. Uh, welcome. Uh, thanks for coming out on this uh, wonderful summer summer morning. Just so glad to be here and, and share God's word with you today. If, if you've never seen me, if you don't know who I am, uh, uh, my name is Riddell, and I have been uh, attending the summer church for uh, nine years, and I've been uh, working here eight of those nine years, and haven't gotten fired yet, so that's a good thing. Uh, praise to God for that. Uh, today, we want to start a new series on, on bearing fruit. And I want to do something just different today. I want us to have a posture of, of James 4, verses 8, 9, and 10, uh, where we examine ourselves, where we just stop and we pause and we, we just have a, a conversation um, where it's just you and God and the Holy Spirit and His, His Word opened I'm really excited about the next uh, weeks uh, with this new series. Your life and and my life uh, will naturally bear a visible fruit of that which you love. For example, for me, uh, I I love race cars and I I love racing. I love road course racing in particular. And so if you go to my garage at home, I don't have to tell you that because it, it bears the fruit of that. Uh, you're going to see racing posters, and you're going to see a helmet sitting there, and you're going to see uh, stickers of, of a track nearby called VIR. And so it, it, just, it just bears the fruit of, of what, I, what, I lo- what I love. And, and so a lot of times we as a church, we forget that we are always making a disciple of something by the fruit that we bear. And so in this series, we want to give you uh, marks of, of followers of Jesus. And this week, we decided to kick off, uh, kick off the series by giving me the most unpopular fruit of them all. <laughs> so thank you, Pastor J.D. Greer and Chris Papalardo. I got to get you back somehow. Uh, they sapped all the humor from the sermon with the topic. I think they knew I was going to make Trump jokes and Hillary jokes. So they gave me <laughs> this tough, tough subject. And so let's Let's just have a conversation about it. Today, I have been tasked to talk to you about the fruit of repentance. The fruit of repentance. It is unfortunate that it is an unpopular fruit for many reasons that I hope you see throughout the message. Confession and repentance are so absent from the church today. And one of the greatest misconceptions of of the church, of God's people, is that we don't sin almost at all. And that's how most church people pretend or portray to be sinless. They live a superficial lives of, of fake smiles. And sadly, God's people over time have learned to, to hide their sin, to, to hide their sorrow from, from everyone, really. Because of a, of a silly unbiblical pressure to look like you have it all together. And people have no clue what repentance is because they never see it in you. And we're so hard to open up, aren't we? We're so hard to open up about our struggles that that no wonder our neighbors think we're we're so unapproachable, so, so different from them. And we forget that the church is not a showcase of Colgate smiles, but a hospital for sinners. And part of the reason there is a, a lack of revival in families, part of the reasons why we don't have 
awesome times of worship in our living rooms during the week. And, and part of the reason that we don't have awesome times of glorious prayer with, with our kids in, in our rooms is because there is no lifestyle of visible confession and repentance before the Lord and before one another. The Bible calls us to confess our sins, not just to the Lord, but to one another. And so many families, so Christian, so-called Christian families today, they don't even know what to do when the music ends. Because when the music ends, the worship ends. When the music ends, the party's over. The worship is over because so many times we're more moved by the music than by the God of the music. And so we need to repent. So I would love for you to open up your Bible with me in Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. It's a psalm of David after David did a lot of sinning. And I want us to look at this psalm today. And right off the bat, let me just uh, say this. The, the king before David, his name was King Saul. And King Saul and King David were not different because Saul sinned and David didn't. No. They, they both did a great deal of sinning. Saul and David were different because David knew to live a life of repentance and Saul didn't. And there are really only two people groups that I'm talking to today. Those who live a life of repentance and those, those who don't. You're either following on the footsteps of David with repentance or you're following in the footsteps of Saul with pride and rebellion and blind to your pride. And so in Psalm 51, verse 1, here we see that David is, is helpless and turns to his only hope. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. When you think, well, repentance is only for the guilty. You have forgotten that you too are guilty, that we're all guilty. For David, he had committed sexual uh, adultery, sexual sins. He had contributed to a murder. He had lied about the whole thing. And now he's openly admitting guilt, and he's desperate for forgiveness and restoration. And notice that, that neither David nor the Bible hide any of this. Because hidden sin kills. Hidden sin saps the, the soul of life. And the modern church has forgotten that. I know confession is not good for our reputation. Oh, but it's so, so good for the soul. And it's silly how people don't come out in the open with their filth and their struggles so that there can be real forgiveness and, and true restoration and, and, and correction through God's word. Repentance it's a lifestyle of living, hanging on the mercies of Jesus. And if you feel like you don't need repentance, then you don't know God at all. We know David is a believer because he knows he needs to repent. Secondly, he prays for cleansing of his sins, verses 2 and 7. So, so first he, he turns to God. 
our hope. And once there, he asked God for cleansing. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was a branch that the priest used to use dipped in blood. Because the penalty of sin is death and because a priest is someone that represents the people before God, they would get a clean lamb and they would uh, sacrifice it as a substitute for their sins. And so the, the, the priest will get this branch of hyssop and he will dab it in the blood of the lamb and then he will declare the people clean. So this sacrificial system hinted to David that God's forgiveness for him will, will cost him, will cost God personally. And he shows us that only Christ's innocent blood could ultimately erase your guilt and my guilt. And that only Christ's perfect record of righteousness can substitute for our iniquities, for our mess, once and for all. And that only Christ's spirit can regenerate the will. And so David here in verses 2 and 7, he's really saying, God, no human priest can help me. I'm guilty. And only you, God, by your almighty power, if you so wish, can make me clean. I beg you, if you, God, don't become my priest, and you dab the blood on me and declare me clean by your mercy, I am done. I am lost. That's what David is saying. And we forget that it is vital to ask God for forgiveness daily. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And perhaps you think, wait, wait a minute, pastor. Didn't Jesus forgive us of all of our sins? Doesn't it say a couple of verses before right there in 1 John that he, he died for all of our sins, past, present, and future? Why ask for forgiveness then? Well, that doesn't replace her asking. Because listen, the cross is not the reason why we don't ask. The cross is the very reason and the only reason why when we ask for forgiveness, we can know that the answer is going to be yes. And so yes, we pray for forgiveness. Number three, David takes his sin very serious. And we see it in a couple of ways. David camps here. David is repetitive about acknowledging his sin. Now, how different is that from us, isn't it? Someone calls out sin in your life. Someone points out sin in your life. And rather than camping there, rather than meditating there, we, we, we deny it. We, we refuse it. We, we run even. But David doesn't do that. And that is the fruit of repentance. That's the mark of a Christian. That when we sin, we humble ourselves. Our response is, our response is repentance, not, not rebellion. A Christian says, you got me, brother. You got me, sister. You are right. Help me. Help me. I, I'm such a sinner and I want to change. That's what a Christian does. And David is not blaming his upbringing. He, he knows it's messed up. He, he mentions that 
in verse 5. He's not blaming anything else for his sins. He's not calling sins mistakes. He's calling it for what they are, sins against a holy and good God. He's not making excuses. He's not saying, Pastor, what happened to me was that I got caught at the wrong place at the wrong time. He's not doing that. He's not saying that he fell into temptation like if temptation surprised him and he's the victim. Sometimes we, we talked about temptation that way. Oh, I, I fell into temptation. I didn't see it coming like if we were the victim. You don't just fall into temptation. You walk right into it. But I worry about some of you who say you're Christian, but when the rubber meets the road, when, when, when the relationship deepens and that friend starts calling out sin in your life, you run in denial and you try to justify your sin. And that's not what David does. That's not what a Christian does. David goes the opposite direction. Like, like John 3.20, as painful as it is, he, he walks to the lines, not like John 3.19, of those who hate the light and hate coming to the light. Listen, if you were to call me out on something that, that I was wrong about, the sermon today, if you come up to me after today and you call me out about something that was wrong in the sermon and I get bent, bent out of shape because of your criticism, you need to look for another preacher. Because if receiving correction is beneath me, calling myself a Christian is above me. Only prideful men hear praise only. But a Christian man humble himself and hears correction. And one of the reasons why we know David takes his sin very serious is because of verse 3. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. In other words, I cannot get my sin out of my mind. If you don't care about God, you won't care about your sin. But if you care about God, you live humbled and your sin is ever before you. Humble enough to close your mouth about other people's sin because you're so overwhelmed with your own. Because remember that a Pharisee is someone that is constantly pointing out and noticing the sins of others, but a Christian is someone that is constantly noticing his and her own sins. So listen, you're going to be thinking about somebody's sin. The question is whose? Your own or somebody else? Another reason we know David took his sin seriously is because he knew his sin was first and foremost against God and then against others. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what it is evil in your sight. The point here is not that others don't get hurt because of our sin. They, they sure do. We, don't ne we never just hurt ourselves with our sin. But the point here is that what makes sin sin is that it is against a holy God, a good God of holy ways. Sin, by definition, is transgression against God. It's an offense against God. He is all perfect and all good. We're not. And the closer we are to someone 
the more it hurts when we fail them. Right? Say that somebody cuts you off in traffic and you say something you shouldn't say or you give them a wireless form of communication that's not the cell phone. And I see you with your little bumper sticker that says Summit Church. I'm going to chase you down and call you out. <laughs> now, when I call you out because of that sin, it's not going to hurt that much to you, honestly, because the person you offended, you don't even know that person. But when you hurt a friend, when you hurt your spouse, in the words of Pastor Miguel Nunez, betrayal is always and only done by a friend. How much more shouldn't it hurt us when we sin against our friend, our maker, our God? And David doesn't try to minimize his sin, rather the contrary. And that, my friend, is, is an attitude of repentance when you don't minimize your sin at all. There is healing there because there's no lying. There's no secrecy. All is out in the light so that the Lord may wash away your sins and wipe away your tears. You don't just need to be sincere. You need to be honest. For you to be honest requires truth. Being sincere doesn't require truth. I've been sincere and genuine about a lot of dumb things in my life. I've been genuine and sincere about convictions and conclusions, and I have been sincerely wrong. But if you want to be honest with yourself, that requires truth. That is fact versus feeling. And you can feel something is right and that you don't have to repent. But you can be sincerely wrong. If you want to heal deeply, repent often, honestly. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Number four, repentance doesn't just desire forgiveness. It desires God. <laughs> repentance leads you to wanting more than forgiveness. David wants renewal. He wants closeness to God. For God is, is, is the highest pursuit, the, 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 the highest thing we can ever wish for. He, he doesn't just want forgiveness. He, he wants God. And forgiveness is it's awesome. You know, forgiveness says your sentence has been paid. You may go. But the blotting out of sins, expiation, says more than you may go. It tells you, you may come. David doesn't want God to just tell him, you know, I pay your penalty, you may go. David, David knows who God is. He wants to hear, son, you may come. As a mess and as a sinner, but repented. But you may come. This is what David wants. He wants God. He wants the presence of God more than health and prosperity. Repentance leads you to God. Being forgiven when you know you don't deserve to be forgiven leads you to the praise of the one who forgave you. So the mark of being a 
of being a Christian, of being forgiven, is continuous repentance. A passion to continue to be transformed through the matchless beauty and holiness of Christ. Listen, church, the end of theology is not knowledge. The end of theology is transformation. The end of theology is us seeing the beauty of Christ. And if you're not fighting to be like Christ, if you don't see his beauty and majesty drawing you to him daily, or if some dream makes you, your eyes glitter more than, than God himself, I would repent today. Because my Christ is matchless in beauty above all else on heaven and earth. He's more beautiful than any landscape on Instagram. He is beautiful beyond words. And when your sin is better than Christ to you, you desperately need a reality check. You, you need to see him so that you may see how puny the beauty of your sin is compared to him who leads you to life. You cannot be apathetic about Christ's beauty and majesty and hope and freedom. In the words of the old Puritan, John Flavel, just as all rivers meet in the ocean, all good things meeting God. Why are your emotions and mind not satisfied by all the things we see here on earth? It's like carrying a large ship to a narrow channel such that it cannot sail there. It will even touch bottom, but give that ship the space of the sea, and such will run like the wind. In the same way, everything here, everything that delights you on earth, all the comforts that you know and long for, they are all like narrow channels, small drops of pleasure that instead of satisfying you, rather inflame the appetite of your soul. But take your soul to Jesus, cry out to Christ, and in him you'll find floods of deep living water in which your soul will have the space of the sea to run freely for the first time. That's my Jesus. And that's what the rest of this chapter is about. David is looking not just for forgiveness, but for God. Listen, David, David knows, listen now, David knows that the problem that led him to sin to begin with was failing to see the beauty of Christ. He, he, he knows that he replaced the beauty of Christ with a lesser beauty, and so he pleads in verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Your problem is not that you need a more joyful job or a more joyful neighborhood or a more joyful ride or, 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 or more joyful weekends or, or friends. Your problem is that you have lost the joy of your salvation. And we need to repent, church. It is the the very company of God that gives you joy in all things, in all situations. No apartes de mi tu santo espíritu. Take not your, your Holy Spirit from me, your presence from me. You see, we're not just to be drawn by the Spirit. We, we desperately need that. But we're not just to be drawn by the Spirit. We exist to be held 
by the Spirit in the arms of Jesus. Because we are human beings, not human doers. We are to be with the joy of all ages. We are to be with God. It doesn't matter what you have. It's about company. You can ride a $100,000 car. If you ride it with a wrong company, it's going to be a bad, expensive ride. It's about company. It's about presence. In the words of R.C. Sproul, it is not the faith that we profess. It's the faith that we possess. You cannot walk with God and live a life without repentance. There is no holiness without repentance. You cannot skip repentance to get to grace. It is the very Spirit of God that gives us the eyes to see what we need to repent of. And notice that David is not doing what what many of us do. He's not doing what a lot of people do when, when they sin. The tendency is that when you sin, you put yourself a penance, a penalty for having sinned. And that only shows pride. Él no se pone un castigo porque él sabe que él no puede pagar el castigo que él se ponga sobre sí mismo. You only learn Spanish. This is hard up here. <laughs> Godly. Woo. Stick to this script. I got to stick to this right here. Listen, when you put on yourself a penance, a penalty for having sinned, what you are actually doing is <laughs> revealing a prideful attitude that believes you can make the payment for that sin. You think you can atone for your sin fulfilling the sentence and penance you imposed over yourself. You're trying to be God. There's only one that pays for sin, and his name is Jesus. And that's the opposite of repentance. Repentance knows you can't do a thing about your debt. And so you trust someone stronger, namely Jesus, to pay for it because you can't. The words of Paul Tripp, when you confess sins to God, you don't just admit that you have sinned. No, you also confess that you have no power to deliver yourself from the sin that you just confessed. That's repentance. Number five, a repentant heart will ask for the heart of God. A repentant heart will ask for the heart of God. Verse 10, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In this psalm, we see that only a priest can cleanse the confessing sinner. That's Jesus. Only a judge can blot out your guilty record. That's God. And only a creator can remake your heart. Nobody but God, the maker, can do that, can give you a new heart. And so one of the most exciting things for me personally about the the coming of Jesus, it's not the streets of gold. That's going to be awesome. It's not the the lack of trials. That's going to be a great relief. But, but, But honestly... One of the most exciting things for me 
about the return of my Savior is that when he comes, I will finally be able to please him perfectly. I love him. I want to please him perfectly. And I don't know about you, but I am tired of my sin. But at the very least, church, let us not sin of lack of repentance. And by the way, one of the most amazing things to me about this psalm is that even though David sinned with sexual sin and murder and, and lying, the psalm never talks about those words or sins specifically, never mentions them. Why? Because those specific sins are not the cause. They're only the symptom. The cause is pride and self-worship that leads you to a lack of repentance. Listen, your problem is not a big sex drive. Your problem is a big ego and a tiny false God called you. That's your problem. The outward sins are a symptom of the disease, not the disease itself. When I have coffee with somebody and they confess sin, I never gasp. It doesn't matter what they say. Number one, because God already knew and still gave his life for that person. And number two, because nine out of ten times, that's not the problem. That's only the symptom. The main issue is a lack of joy in our salvation. So restore to me the joy of my salvation. The joy of his grace is enough because there's nothing like it. And let me tell you, when the joy of God's, great, uh, God's grace fades, then we start doing all kinds of dumb things. When the joy of God's grace fades, then we start clicking on porn. When the joy of God's Grace fades, and we start daydreaming of everything but the mission of God, and we only think of ourselves. When the joy of God's grace fades, then we start putting our eyes on someone other than our spouse, and we get into these silly, dumb, emotional affairs that lead to death, and on and on and on. Every sin is a reflection of the absence of the only joy that satisfies. His name is Jesus. And repentance is fighting the flesh. Fight for joy. Repentance is not just crying. It's changing. Yes, there's going to be lament because you, we love our God. But, but it's, it doesn't stay in tears. We change when we see his beauty. Did you know that um, Saul, who was a king before David, he wept. In 1 Samuel 24, 16, when, when David spared his life, it says that Saul wept. His weeping sounded like Saul was repenting, but he didn't repent. Why do we know that? Because there was no change. And so repentance should be our daily bread. And, and sometimes we're, we're so worried about displaying a good testimony that we forget, we forget to display repentance as well. We are so full of ourselves sometimes that we don't want to confess sin because we care too much about our reputation. So who's king, me or God? We don't repent because we want to look clean and we want to look good. Do you want to know why many kids, and I know this because I have three of them and one of them is a teenager, but do you know why many kids and teenagers don't know how to humble themselves? Because they have never seen you humble yourself. They have never seen you model repentance. 
often in my house. Every week, I have to gather my kids and say, boys, come here. And I have to get my wife, and I have to say, you all know how papi talked to mommy a few minutes ago? No, we don't. Yes, you do. You heard it. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. I want to say in front of you to mom, I am so sorry. That's not how you talk to a woman. That's not how you talk to someone that is created in the image of God, and it is not okay. And I am sorry that I heard God and I heard your mom and my wife. And I am sorry about my sin. The end is not for us to look clean. The end is for us to point to the only one that cleanses us. That's the end. God, not us. And let me tell you, some of you look dangerously clean. Guess what? You're not. You're not fooling anybody. The evidence that you belong to Jesus, the evidence that you repented long ago, is that you're still repenting today. And notice all throughout the Bible that who does God call to repent? Yes, he sure calls the unbeliever to repent, but there's so much of the Bible that he's calling his own church to repent, his people. We just went through a whole series on that in the Minor Prophets, and you look at the seven letters in Revelations, all to the church. Last thing, and I finish now. Repentance involves us in the mission of God. Notice what he says in verse 13 and 15. He says, then I'll teach transgressors your ways. You know what that is? That's evangelism. That is sharing the gospel right there. I'll teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Oh, Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Beloved church, listen to this. Don't miss this. Results are not the fruit of giftiness. Results are the fruit of repentance through grace. Talent doesn't save anybody. Christ does. Repentance says relationship over results. Repentance says God over me. Repentance says others before me. Usefulness is not the end. God is the end. God didn't create you primarily for usefulness. He created you for relationship with him. Not to first and foremost use you, but to know you and for you to know him. Do you know him? So if you're not bearing fruit, could it be because you have not yet repented? Could it be that as a believer, you're, you're blind to so many sins because you, you don't live a life of repentance? And listen, any area you withhold from God, any, is because of a lack of repentance. Repentance is confession, is contrition, and is change. So would you bow your heads and will you, before I pray, consider the following words. There's only two things you can do with this sermon. You can repent or you can have a rebellious attitude. But if you will let me, let me, let me finish using some words from the amazing Rosaria Butterfield. She says, repentance is bittersweet business. Repentance is not just a conversion exercise, it's the posture of a Christian. The Christian learns how to melt the will into God's. Repentance liquefies the will of the flesh. It is our daily fruit. 
Repentance is our hourly washing, our minute-by-minute wake-up call. Repentance is a reminder of God's creation, Jesus' blood, and the Holy Spirit's comfort. Repentance is the only no-shame solution to a renewed Christian conscience because it proves the obvious that God was right all along. And repentance feels like death because it is. Oh, but there is life. There is life and rest that you've never known. No more pretension. No more having to live up to an image of yourself. The path of repentance is the path of life. And so don't give up on me now, church. Let's fight the good fight. All fruits are something that grow. They all have stages. Repentance is no different. So I don't want you to dismay. I don't want you to to faint. Do not be discouraged, but do grow in repentance. Don't compare yourself to anybody. Repentance starts with a simple cry. Lord, I'm falling. Help me. Help me see my sin. Help me humble myself. Don't just say, I can't. We need to say that. That's repentance. But go a bit farther and say, God, I know I can't, but you can. Believe God. He can. He'll give you victory over sin. So look to Jesus today. Father, we thank you for your word. Give us a life of repentance. Teach us to repent daily for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.